Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Today, I have Colleen Kessler from Raising Lifelong Learners, and I'm so happy to have her on today. Hi, Thanks Colleen. Thanks for me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's one I'm of, so you excited know, to be here. Right? <laughs> and I always I always go with rural internet. There's such a lag, so. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what you do, who you are. I mean, you have such a great platform. I'm excited to chat today. Yeah, well, again, thanks for having me. Um, and it was fun meeting you this past uh, yes. season in person. So it's always fun to be able to, you know, meet meet people when I'm out there. Um, so yeah, my website and my podcast are Raising Lifelong Learners. Um, I am, gosh, I've been homeschooling for, I think this is my 16th year. Um, we kind of came into homeschooling, uh, kicking and screaming a little bit under duress. Um, uh, yeah, and, we did too. So <laughs> yeah, it was not in the plan. So my background actually is, um, I'm a gifted specialist. I worked in the school system for a decade and a half, uh, first just teaching elementary school. And then I got my master's degree in uh, gifted education with a specific focus, kind of minor on the social and emotional needs of neurodivergent children. And uh, just kind of fell in love with quirky families and their children. <laughs> and then also had a heart for the parents who were raising them, uh, which turned out to be a good thing because uh, unbeknownst to me, I ended up uh, having my own neurodivergent children. I always say that uh, God has a sense of humor, right? Because when I was right. teaching these kids, as much as I loved going into the school and uh, meeting their needs and working with their teachers to modify their curriculum so their needs would be met and advocating for them, I prayed for nice average children because I recognized <laughs> that it is much easier to raise somebody who is like right in the center of that bell curve. And um, God just kind of laughed at that. And my oldest, did not fit in any box. And he started school. I ended up leaving teaching to stay home and be a writer full time. I was freelance writing and writing books for parents, teachers, and kids at the time. And so homeschooling was still not on our radar, but my son was not fitting in to mm -hmm. the school system. He was struggling. He was getting in trouble all the time. He would come home and just ask why he was such a bad kid. And he was losing the spark. Uh, so originally we started pursuing testing just to see what was going on with the idea of keeping him in school, right? And mm -hmm. figuring out how to advocate. For in him. there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when when the results came back, it, it was evident that the school was not going to be equipped to handle him. He had several different diagnoses, including ADHD, sensory processing disorder, he had a touch of anxiety, and he was also profoundly gifted on the IQ scale and the discrepancies caused him to kind of look like a screw up in the classroom. He just, his um, intellect masked his disabilities and his challenges and his challenges masked his disability or his intellect. And so he came across to teachers who just don't have the experience with these kinds of kids as a class clown or lazy or unmotivated. And so at the time we started pursuing just different options and 
while there were some places that we could send him, magnet schools for the gifted, mm -hmm. um, uh, charter schools, things like that, there weren't any close. And I also had a preschooler and a toddler at home, and I wasn't going to be able to make a round trip hour to hour and a half commute each day with little ones in the car to get him to a school that fit. So we took on homeschooling. I learned as quickly as I could and decided we'd take it year by year, kid by kid. And 16 years later, he's graduated in 20 now. And oh, wow. Congratulations. I, thank you. Yeah. We weren't sure that we'd ever make that, um, <laughs> both, both physically uh, and emotionally. And then of course yep. mentally as well. Um, and then I also have a 15 year old. She'll be 16 this summer and she'll be, oh, I think I met her. Yes, you, you probably yes. did. Um, in fact, I think three of my four children were at the convention that you were at oh, my, fun. my booth. And, uh, then my 16 year old, almost 16 year old was there with me. My 10 year old son was also there with me. And then my 13 year old daughter uh, at the convention time, she was off on a, an adventure with dad. When the kids turn 13, they get to go on a vacation with the opposite parent so Ooh, it was how fun to go on an adventure with dad and they were swimming with dolphins in Orlando while we were toiling gosh <laughs> we're actually we're bringing the whole crew to the Texas great homeschool oh fun yeah uh, my twins are graduating eighth grade I mean we're homeschoolers so I quote graduating eighth grade <laughs> right a rite of passage age. I don't know that we've finished our curriculum for the year, but whatever. You know? um, and so we decided to let them come. And after the convention, we're going to go down to San Antonio to see world and stuff, like kind of make it a big ordeal. Yeah, that'll be fun. The, have you been to the Texas homeschool convention? Before? I haven't yet. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. So the Kalahari that's there is massive. Uh -huh. We have one here in Ohio and yeah. uh, the Texas one makes ours kind of look like a baby pool. It's got oh, wow. uh, a mini roller coaster inside the arcade and <laughs> all these fantastic restaurants. My kid's favorite is the one that serves burgers and milkshakes and the Nutella milkshake that has a, a glazed donut and three donut holes on top of it. It's oh my goodness. absolutely insane. The whole everything. I think I just got sick to my stomach. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've managed to kill that milkshake multiple times. Oh my gosh. My two oldest will be at that one with me. We're going to take a road trip um, because my oldest probably won't want to travel for too much longer with mom and my 16, almost 16 year old, uh, she'll be 16 by then, um, is just getting, she's getting so busy. She's into heavily into musical theater and mm -hmm. she uh, takes private lessons and training. And so it's getting harder and harder to find times when she can go with us. So me and the two biggest kids are gonna <laughs> take a couple of days driving there and a couple of days driving home and just find some adventures along the way. Oh, that's so fun. We like to do the road trips. We uh, we do a cross-country trip every year for the Homesteaders of America in Virginia. Oh, fun. Yeah, and so the kids are looking forward to that one. And this year we're actually doing a second one in Indiana on the way home, so. And wow. that'll be that'll be the twins' birthday, their 15th birthday. And there's going to be a hog roast that night and stuff. So they're all excited for kind of a party for their birthday, you know? Nice. Yeah. Built-in celebration. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it'll be nice. Like we're going to have a big booth and I'm going to be speaking both days and stuff. So they'll have a good time. They, they, they love those conferences. They talk about them all year long. So we're looking forward to that one, but yeah, we actually, our 18 year old, he doesn't travel with us. He hasn't traveled with us in three years. Mm -hmm. He's a little too cool to hang out with mom and dad, you know, I hear that, but yeah. you know, three years ago, he was our hardest homeschooling. 
And I, I mean, we're we're lucky my husband and I didn't end up getting a divorce trying to teach this kid. (laughs) And he came to us and said, can I get a job instead of doing school? And we're like, well, you know, what kind of job are you thinking? You know, there's, you know, you're getting ready to get your license. We said we'd pay for your license and pay for your insurance if you had good grades. But if you're working, he goes, I'll pay for it all myself. We're like, okay, let's give it a shot. So he actually started working part-time for our neighbor where he could walk to work. And um, he was running his little mini manufacturing plant there. And we, we live very rural. So it's like house, farm, manufacturing plant, you know, <laughs> And um, he was still doing some studies. And after a few months of that, he got offered a job working for an electrician as a laborer. And so we're like, well, we can't really keep up on your school when you're gone all day. So we let him transition. And now two years later, he is an electrician's apprentice making $50 an hour and working on his GED on his own to be able to go to the journeyman school. That's fantastic. I love yeah. how there's so many different paths our kids can take. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, it's a good one for him. He's, um, he has ODD. So he, you know, for those who don't know, oppositional defiance disorder. So people don't realize that that's not just defiance against a parent or a teacher, but it's also defiance against social norms. Right. So some of the stuff that we've had to fight him on over the years to be able to find something that works and fits for him. And, you know, he's kind of living on his own now. It's a 45 minute drive to work. So he's been staying at a buddy's house in town. So he's a little closer and he's doing his own thing and he's doing really well. And we're able to leave for a week tomorrow and he's going to come stay at the house and handle everything. And we don't have to teach him how to do it because it was his chores for the last 10 years. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. He's coming up today to get reorientated. (laughs) you know we have lots of different animals in different stages so even if you're gone for a week you may need to be reorientated on what we're doing with our animals so my gosh I can't even imagine we just have chickens and we have chickens and dogs and some little pets in the house a lizard and a turtle but the chickens are enough for me my daughter would love to have more animals um but we'll we'll see right well we have nine sows, four dairy cows, two beef cows, 75 meat birds right now in three different stages. We just got new barn cats. We have a dog that just had surgery. So, I mean, there's all these like little things he has to know how to handle. So, yeah, we just did, um, meat birds for the first time. We've had layers since the, um, since the pandemic that was, so my husband is a teacher currently still, he is a Mm. reading specialist and, um, so he was home, you know, for the pandemic. And I couldn't imagine still trying to teach through the pandemic. I had friends that couldn't do it. Yeah. And it was really difficult because he, he was at the time he was doing reading intervention with first graders, like small group reading intervention around a table, like helping them, the, the kids who had learning disabilities and struggles to trying to figure out, um, what their struggles were. It was next impossible for him to, um, to figure that out right away. Um, he's actually gotten a lot better with being able to kind of identify and, and serve through Zoom, but thankfully he doesn't have to anymore, but he's not, 
necessarily a work at home person. Um, you know, he's, he's been, he spent his entire career in, in school buildings and mm -hmm. uh, didn't ever adapt like I did when I came home to freelance full time. And so uh, he needed a project, he needed stuff to keep him busy. So chickens were his, his project, his pandemic project. And then good for him. They like everyone jokes that whole chicken math thing is legit. And so every year we had more and more and more. And I don't even know how many we have right now. Um, but he tried his hand at meat birds for the first time. And oh boy, was their learning curve. Um, oh yeah. They're ugly. I did not yeah, know they're gross. They're ugly and gross and disgusting they are. That said, the meat is phenomenal. I yeah, mean, we've, off, we've always gotten our um, meat. We've been parts of farm shares and CSA. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've gotten our meat from local farmers, but um, growing our own, I mean, it was great. We controlled everything that they had, but they were just disgusting. And yeah. part of that learning curve was we got them too soon for Ohio weather. And so they ended mm -hmm. up having to stay in our garage because they Ooh, were yeah. hardy enough to be outside. And our whole house just smelled like a barn for... We're in Idaho, so we had ours in the meat room the first round, which is right off our kitchen. That was horrible. That's yeah, <laughs> awful. So I said to him, you can do meat birds again, but you have to start later because they can never go in our garage again. <laughs> yeah, they're so bad. But I also find that I'm more inclined to use every part of them when I grow them myself rather than whatever I pick up at the grocery store. This is true. Yeah. I mean... So had so much bone broth and mm -hmm. where like everything is used. I don't cook rice in water anymore. Like no. everything <laughs> is squeezed out of those birds. Yeah. It makes it, you know, if you're going to, and you put a lot of money into them, it's not cheaper, No, no. but it's, you have a better product. So, right. I mean, that's just kind of have to accept that with homesteading, but <laughs> um, yeah, I actually, I have a shirt on my website that says chicken math homestead common core because <laughs> it just doesn't make sense where all those chickens came from. Oh no. And then you just find like new chicks in your garage and under a brooding lamp. And you're like, wait, I thought we had enough. And right. But they, these yeah. were at the farmer's market and I only had to get three and they're a breed I've always wanted. That was my husband. He came home with lavender Orringtons. Oh, those are, that's one that he still wants. We haven't gotten those yet. Yeah. We, um, I used to do real estate. And so I'd take everybody's chickens that was moving. And we ended up with a lavender Orrington from that. And he's like, those are really cool. We need more. So oh my gosh, <laughs> good times. I don't do real estate anymore. So less chickens just showing up. There, there you go. Whatever <laughs> it takes. So you know, kind of talking about, uh, you know, kids working on the farm and that type of stuff. Um, I actually, one of the reasons that I really pushed my kids into some of these things is when we first started homeschooling, oh, I don't know. It was seven or so years ago. It was around that time. I don't remember exactly when, but I came across your website because we have neurodivergent kids. And I was like, how do I teach these kids at home? Because I went from them being in every special ed program at school. When my husband and I met, we both had two neurodivergent kids each. Okay. And that's, I think what really drew us to each other was, oh my goodness, we need help as single parents, you know? And we have two more now, but um, we had four kids in special ed and all of a sudden I have to bring these four kids home and try to teach them myself. And that's how I came across 
your website, which then when I had an opportunity to meet you, I was really excited because a lot of what I learned on your website and your emails are ones that I've looked forward to over the years for just new ideas all the time. I, I, I don't read a lot of emails and I look forward to when yours come in or when I do an email dump, I search your name first and then flip through them before I delete everything, you know? So oh, thank you. I'm glad that they're useful. <laughs> yeah. I, I know how that feels to have somebody be like, I listen to your stuff. Like, Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, just kind of that conversation of homeschooling neurodivergent kids and pushing them into things that they're interested in. And strewing was one that I, um, got an idea from you. And so just, I'd like to hear a little bit more about kind of that path that homeschoolers take when teaching their neurodivergent kids and maybe a little bit of taking it off their chest of that. You don't have to do it exactly right. Yeah. I think that that's, it's both the the best thing about homeschooling these types of kids and the scariest thing about homeschooling these types of kids, right? Mm -hmm. There's no perfect curriculum for someone who's already so far outside the box. Uh, I say that we are, traditional eclectic unschoolers. So it's, it's very hard for me to define exactly what we are because we just pick and choose from everywhere because the truth. Okay. So the truth is if there's ever somebody, and this is from like the gifted perspective, which is Mm -hmm. um, masters, anybody says like, we have the perfect gifted curriculum for you, like walk the other way because there's no such thing (laughs) as the perfect curriculum for any kind of gifted twice exceptional or otherwise Mm -hmm. child because each one is as different from the other as they are from the general population because so sorry i've covered neurodivergent a couple times on my podcast but i haven't covered twice exceptional do you want to explain that real quick yeah so um so neurodivergency is just is diverging from neurotypical right and Mm -hmm. so in a nutshell it kind of covers everything specifically we can talk about all the different um disabilities but really challenges, um, differences, neuro differences, mm-hmm. however you want to call it. Um, there are some people who are very nitpicky about words. I am actually not because I think the information and the support is more important than what we call it. And I don't ever like to get up on anybody's high. I don't like anybody getting up on a high horse about what we call, what we call mm-hmm. or what, what it is, because the point of the matter is serving parents where they are and helping them find the resources they need. So we're talking about things like ADHD and sensory processing disorder and ODD and um, anxiety disorders and any other kind of thing, dyslexia, learning disabilities or challenges, Mm -hmm. anything that comes into play. When we're talking about giftedness, we're talking about kids who IQ-wise, like we're just talking straight IQ-wise, cognitively, they would score, if they were to be given an IQ test, they would score two standard deviations above average. Um, When we're talking about kids who have learning challenges, they tend to score two standard deviations below average on those same scales. So if we just look at a straight bell curve, they are equally divergent from one another, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it would make sense that kids whose brains are wired in a divergent way could have pieces of that on both sides of that bell curve. So a twice exceptional child is a child who cognitively is gifted. They have um, a high IQ, they get information pretty quickly, they need fewer repetitions, they may read sooner than others, they may not, everybody Mm -hmm. develops differently, Um, but they get overall concepts more quickly than same age neurotypical peers. But 
they also have some other kind of neurodivergence or challenge with that. And that actually could be physical, mental, emotional, um, neurological, uh, or academic. It could be mm -hmm. any other thing that causes challenges. So a child that I worked with in the school system years and years, decades ago, was very highly gifted, but also had severe cerebral palsy. Mm. And so pulling out his intelligence with the physical and the neurological handicaps that he had at the time were really difficult with the resources that we had in the school system. So we had to work in conjunction with doctors and therapists to get him to be mentally and academically challenged while his other needs were being served. So a twice exceptional yep. child is just somebody who gets things quickly in some areas, but also struggles with other things like my son, who's profoundly gifted, but also has anxiety and sensory processing disorder and anxiety, uh, ADHD. Yep. My daughter is a uh, twice exceptional and it can be really exhausting because when in teaching her, it's, she goes from, she's reading at an advanced high school level, but then she's so severely dyslexic and has dysgraphia that I have to like take her back down to almost a preschool level to teach her to spell. And that's a really frustrating and almost makes school like a therapy session when it shouldn't be that way. So yeah, it can be a very frustrating process, but it's really awesome when I do see her excel. So yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I found, I found new ways. Like I have her typing more mm -hmm. um, so that she gets immediate feedback and I have her teaching her three and five-year-old brother how to read. Right. So because then she's working through the preschool curriculums, but I'm not having to do it with her. She's reading it to them and learning those pieces. So yeah, that's finding um, kind of, again, outside the box ways mm -hmm. to meet them where they are is one of the beauties of homeschooling. And actually, like what you just said, um, that asynchrony, that being many different ages at once, mm -hmm. both academically, maturity wise, socially, emotionally, is kind of the hallmark characteristic of a gifted individual because gifted brains tend to develop asynchronously where they latch onto something and they make huge strides in one area while the others lag. And then the others will kind of catch up in, in different times and different situations. It's often why our gifted kids are misunderstood, misdiagnosed and misserved in school settings because oh, she got in trouble all the time for tying her braids to chairs. Yeah, the kids, they're just, the schools aren't equipped. And the mm -hmm. truth is like, I do still have some empathy towards traditional classroom teachers because I remember in my undergrad, there was one paragraph in one textbook in one class that even mentioned giftedness. They don't have any training on mm -hmm. gifted individuals. And it wasn't until several classes into my master's degree that we really broke down what giftedness is like, what the gifted brain is like, and then how that plays in to twice exceptionalities and other challenges and um, situations as well. And so a regular everyday classroom teacher is expected basically to teach to the middle. And so they don't have, they don't have the, the training, they are not equipped, and they don't get the nuances of a gifted brain, which is very nuanced and different from mm -hmm. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I mean, I teach it co-op and that's basically a group of 20 neurodivergent kids. And the ones that aren't neurodivergent have been taught by their moms the whole time and are suddenly in a classroom setting. And that can be, yeah, that can that's be challenging. 
yeah. And we're doing like science experiments. So it's a disaster. It's wonderful. And they love it. Right. <laughs> yeah. My kids enjoyed it. Co-ops, depending, it depended on the group and, and mm-hmm. what they were doing. We tended to gravitate more towards enrichment co-ops where they could do classes that were different and non-academic yeah. so we could just follow our own path academically. That's ours is called an academic co-op, but we purposely there's an option for like math and English, but the math is, you know, understanding advanced math concepts or the English is creative writing. Like it's a little bit more, or there's a lot of science classes so that the moms don't have to teach science at home and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Like I teach uh, the homestead science and I teach uh, survivalism to the junior high and high schoolers. Fun. My kids took a class about survivalism uh, one, one of their, I think it was my oldest two in one of their high school level. Oh, fun. Your high level classes. They had. (laughs) Yeah. We live in like far North Idaho where it's, I kind of joke. It's crazy white people with guns. Oh, (laughs) you know, we're right up there. So, you know, (laughs) but, uh, it's, everybody's all about the survivalism here. So, I mean, when people hear that we're teaching that at our co-op, it, boost enrollment and stuff. So it's, it's a positive. That's fun. (laughs) I mean, I joke like that because like the Ruby Ridge standoff was here in our County and that type of thing. So yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or I feel really bad for the census lady up here. Yeah. You've got to embrace the community that you're a part of, right? Yeah. I mean, we had the Mennonite youth group show up on our porch to Carol, our first Christmas here. And, you know, having, we live right on the Canadian border. So to have a bus show up in our yard, at 10 o'clock or it was like 9 30 like my husband met them at the door with a pistol on his hip and it was the Mennonite youth group (laughs) we're like oh hi can we offer you cookies (laughs) so you know adventurous there it sounds yes (laughs) I mean we're literally a thousand feet from the Canadian border so in the middle of nowhere we're not even the biggest port we're the like tiny port that's only open for a few hours a day so oh my yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never been to Idaho, so it's gorgeous. A little crazy, but gorgeous. <laughs> it's like the last frontier kind of in the northern 48. Okay. Yeah, I think that everybody has their crazy though, right? Every yeah. different area has a different kind of crazy. Exactly. I grew up in Northern California. They are crazy. <laughs> I lived in Southern California for about 10 years um, in junior high and high school. And oh, okay. we have our, our own crazy there as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, teaching neurodivergent kids. We, I yeah. tend to wander, you know. <laughs> it's okay. It works. It works. Yeah. Yeah. I think that homeschooling really for, for these kinds of kids is the best thing we can do for them because we get the opportunity to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. in all the different areas they are so like you said you know your kiddo is advanced in one area and behind in another and then we can throw in the social issues and challenges that go along with that too and nurture them and be their kind of anchor and soft place to land while also banning the the fuels the flames of their interests and passions like for example my my 15 almost 16 year old is heavily into musical theater and has been able to do more shows and workshops and master classes than she would ever have been able to do if she were in a traditional school setting. Mm-hmm. 
resume looks very, very impressive, but her, but her training has been incredible because she's been able to work with adults in community theater since she was eight. And she's done some regional theater and she's taking private dance lessons and private oh, wow. voice lessons and private um, acting lessons with a coach to get ready for college auditions. And while a lot of kids do that, they do that juggling a traditional academic load and she can do her own traditional academic load in a fraction of the time based mm-hmm. on things she's interested in and can spend the majority of her time doing the things that will further her career. And it's it's a gift really that we we can give them. Absolutely. I my uh 14 year old autistic son, he has a raw dairy herd. Oh, that's great. And that's what he focuses on is his cows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he does science or writing or, you know, entrepreneurial type business classes, it's all focused on his herd. Mm-hmm. And then, I you know, that. I spend five hours trying to get him through an algebra lesson, you know, right? <laughs> not that he doesn't know how to do algebra. He's smart, but he, you know, the autism kicks in the 14 kicks in and, you know, he looks at a math problem and goes, I'm going to guess that's a negative number. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't guess. We go through the steps, you know, and five hours later, I'm like, whatever, go play with your cows. I don't care. Yeah. Well, encouraging them in their passions like that is giving them more real world experience and will likely Mm -hmm. be something that they're using far more than those negative numbers in the future. So, yeah, you know, he wants to, he wants to go into ag engineering and he's trying to figure out how to take his dairy herd with him to college, which, you know, we're supportive of, you know, we're looking at like, you know, can we rent or buy a place at the, you know, near the local college where he could have at least a couple acres to, you know, still sell raw milk as his side income and that type of thing. But I'm like, you have to be able to pass algebra to get into college. So let's focus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when they're driven, then they're more motivated and more Mm -hmm. engaged in the the reasoning for it. And a, a lot of kids, especially twice exceptional and gifted kids, need to know why they're doing something. So if there's a reason for it, they're more bought in and they'll learn the algebra or whatever it is because it's a means to their goal. So that's important. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big part of when I wrote my curriculum, which is all on, it's a science curriculum on homesteading or small scale farming, but I wrote it as an ag curriculum, but I wrote it basically to my two 14 year olds. Mm-hmm. all the why is behind it. Right. Like, and the importance and the character that goes into why you take care of your animals a certain way, like the responsibility. And then once they understand the responsibility, then I go into the science of why that needs to happen to meet that responsibility. And it's been a really positive feedback on that because it builds that character and builds that sense of responsibility for all these people that are taking that first leap for towards self-sufficiency for their families. And a lot of them are doing it with junior high and high schoolers for the first time who don't have that buy-in. Yeah, it sounds great. And when you find community or people that are supportive of what your family is like, it just, it builds more of that reasoning for doing what you're doing. It's one of the reasons um, we started uh, a couple years ago, um, uh, an online community for families who are homeschooling neurodivergent children, because 
it was when you're outliers anyway, and you're outside the box anyway, it's harder yeah. to find people like you in your general area. And so this way, parents can connect and kids can connect. There's a little forum where the kids can share what they're doing and things oh, like fun. that. So that they know they're not alone. There's others, they see others sharing their kind of quirky interests and things like that. And then the parents can ask their questions and get support while they're, so they're not feeling isolated at home. I know that it's really hard when you have differently wired children and you're mm -hmm. at home and you're looking at all the Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds of parents whose kids are sitting around the table, you know, doing their workbooks or their curriculum and they're getting done by noon or whatever. And you're fighting over algebra because he wants to get back to his interests and yep. he's in his heels. Um, it's nice to know that there are others whose kids are equally passionate about something that their autistic brain has perseverated on and they're having the same struggles trying to fit in some of those must do's and mm -hmm. can share language and share support. I love that. And I mean, you know, even, I don't know, I don't think my five-year-old is neurodivergent. I think he's just quirky because he lives in a quirky house, right. but he informed me this year that I don't think I want to learn how to read. I just want to do math. <laughs> okay. So we do three math curriculums a day because those are what he chose and he loves them. But then he has this bouncy moose thing that he like bounces around the living room. And uh -huh. while he, he's balance, bouncing, I have these flashcards that it's like, take, bake, rake, you know, like, and we say them as he's bouncing, you know, so that he gets that repetition. And he thinks that we're just being funny, making rhyming sounds. Right. Because he can't figure out when I do sit down and try to do a curriculum with him, he can't figure out the rhyming because his vocabulary is so large. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you're like, here's a B it rhymes with, and you hold up a picture of a tree and he's like, is that an apple tree or an apricot tree? <laughs> I'm like, well, no, it's just a tree. And he's like, it kind of looks like a shrub. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, I can't do this. Yes, you can. You totally can, and you're already doing it. Right. Yeah, that's when they're thinking differently, it's hard to get them to be able to pull back and focus. We talked, um, I've talked a lot about, and actually a lot of people talk about taking brain breaks with your kids, you know, especially when they're um they're ADHD or they have a brain that seeks novelty, right? And um, one of the activities that we're going to be doing in the learners lab in the community next month um, with the kids is I'm, I'm teaching a class. It's a creative thinking class all about like why your brain might need brain breaks. And we're going to spend the time online brainstorming good brain breaks and creating our own set of task cards that the kids can use in their homeschool and in their family life when they're feeling that they need like that break, like bouncing around on a moose is a perfect mm. brain break. And <laughs> Jack's um, baking some cookies, doing something that challenges you, doing a puzzle, doing a logic, you know, a logic game or whatever, um, or just talking to your mom about something and then going back to it or having a snack. And so um, helping our kids find the tools that they need to be able to persevere like that. through things that aren't super exciting for them is another way that we can motivate those neurodivergent and outside the box kids. Mm -hmm. oh, I like that. And that's always what I've loved about your platform is it's always giving me new ideas. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not an idea that we use for the next year, even if it just gets me through that day. Right. Right. Well, that's my goal. I, and I'm glad that, that you see, you see that and you feel that because 
Um, I've had people that, you know, have come on to uh, work with me or support me before, and it hasn't worked out because that's always my goal, right? That every, every episode you listened to, every blog post that you've read, every email you've gotten, at least gives you one thing you could take away. So there's mm-hmm. some kind of actionable something that it's not just taking up more space in your brain. And I think that's so important when, um, when we're homeschooling and our, our time is so precious that everything that we do has some kind of intentionality to it so that we're spending our time bettering ourselves. So we're better equipped to help our kids become the best versions of themselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll use strewing as an example. It has been that's been one that we've carried for years and I don't, you know, set it up like the beginning of summer with a pile of stuff on the table. It's just kind of whenever yeah. I think of something, I bring it home and I just set it down. Yeah. And, you know, the other day I was, my husband sent me to the store to pick up some fencing supplies, but he wouldn't tell me like what he needed. He's like, I don't know. I need to get the fence up. I'm not really sure how I want to attach it. And I'm like, well, do you want you nails? Do you want bailing wire. Like he's like, I don't know, maybe go ahead and get both. And then no matter which posts I'm using, I'm good. Cause we're fixing a fence. So it's like a little hodgepodge, you know? Yeah. And so I got there and I went ahead and picked up everything we needed. And on the way out, I saw they're on a rack on like on an end cap, they had craft supplies for kids. Uh-huh. And there was just this pack of, it was pom-poms and uh, pipe cleaners. Okay. And it was only a dollar. So I grabbed it. And when I got home, I told my husband, that seems how he wouldn't tell me what fencing supplies he needed. He could fix it with pipe cleaners. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of a joke. But then my three and five-year-old came running over and they're like, what did you get, mom? I'm like, I got you a present. And I handed it to him and they're like, what's it for? And I'm like, whatever you want it to be for. They have played with that same pack for probably four or five days now. So like, I mean, they've made that. bracelets, they've made their own little fences. They've you know, glued the pom-pom to the three-year-old. <laughs> like, and yeah, I have feral children, you know, and I'm good with it because we're on 40 acres. That's the goal, right? Right. But yeah, to have my three and five-year-old play boys play with a little pack of craft supplies that I got for a dollar at the hardware store for three days and all the different imagination things that they've done with it has been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's, we give them open-ended opportunities and see what happens. That's <laughs> the beauty of homeschooling, right? <laughs> right. Um, so I want to give you an opportunity to talk about, you know, the books that you have and, you know, what you have coming up in your programs, because I, I really like what you do. And I want to be able to share that with my listeners. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like I mentioned, I have an online membership community for families who are homeschooling quirky, differently wired, outside the box kids. Um, One of the questions I get often is, uh, do we have to have an identification? And absolutely not. You know if your kid is outside the box or not. And everything that we do in the community supports families who have quirky kids. And many of them are not identified. And all of the activities can help and benefit all kids, but they're particularly helpful and supportive of kids who are quirky and differently wired. So um, it's it's truly for the whole family. And, um, and that's called the Learner's Lab. You can find out more about it on my site, raisinglifelonglearners.com. The podcast is put out every week. We've got some really great episodes coming up. Actually, I did an interview with a, an OT yesterday about uh, executive function skills. Oh, and, I'm going to so look forward that, to that one. It was a really good conversation. 
Um, I have a book that came out a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe now, um, called Raising Resilient Sons, a Boy Mom's Guide to Building a Strong, Confident, and Emotionally Intelligent Family. And it's all about helping our boys be boys and uh, nurturing their own understanding of their feelings and emotions, but also who they are. And, um, and I'm working on a new book. It will be out this time next year. So stay tuned for it. Uh, it is tentatively called Raising Lifelong Learners. We don't have the subtitle uh, figured out yet, but it will be all about exactly what we talked about, finding your kids' passions, fanning those flames, exploring them alongside them, and just building a lifestyle of learning. So you're raising your kids to know there's always more to know, and there's no shame in not knowing and asking questions and just helping them be the best versions of themselves in, in an organic, natural, holistic way. And so I'm really excited about that project. And yeah, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's kind of the book that I've always wanted to write. And so, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it, how it all comes together. I've got a couple more months to write. And then the editors will do what they do and tell me to make all these sections better. And I'll have several more months of work to go, right? <laughs> it'll all be good. Um, so yeah, you can, you can get on uh, the email list, like you were talking about over on the site, raisinglifelonglearners.com okay. and um, keep abreast of everything that's going on and find out when the Learners Lab is open for new members and join us if you want to and ask questions. I'm always in my inbox answering questions. So whatever support you need. That's great. I think, you know, I saw your book, Raising Resilient Sons at the last conference and I'm like, I need to grab that. I have five boys. So yeah. I'm just all boys here. And I think even my daughter is part boy because she's such a tomboy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was a tomboy too. I had two brothers and grew up on a ranch. So I'm like, I, I don't know how to raise girls. Like maybe you should brush your hair or something on your, <laughs> but so my favorite question for all my guests is what does keep growing mean to you? What does keep growing? Keep growing to me means always learning, finding mm -hmm. like just being secure in that idea that there's always something else that you can discover and that living is the, is an adventure in and of itself because you never know what's going to come up. and being able to roll with those punches and dust yourself off and persevere and learn from experiences and create new experiences for yourself. I love that. I always, I look forward to what everyone has to say on that. And I always kind of have a feeling like working up to it. And then somebody always says something that just like sets off a light bulb for me. So, cause the theme of my podcast is helping you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. Love that. That's fantastic. So well, I hope that this conversation helps your listeners grow as people and as families and connect strongly with one another. You know, I really think it will because a lot of my listeners, besides being homesteaders and homeschoolers, a lot of people, when you ask them why they became a homesteader, probably 75% of them have a catalyst that is health-based and a lot of times that health-based is the neurodivergent kids and the issues they have with the sensitivities to foods and wanting to go more natural. So yeah, I think that this, you know, people are going to be really excited to hear what you have to say. So well, good. Glad All right, well, thank you. you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed getting to meet you a couple months ago and look forward to crossing paths again in the future. 
Yeah, well, I'll see you in Texas. So I yes. there. <laughs> with lots of kids running around. Yeah, well, there'll be lots actually. That's a fun one to bring your families to. So I'm sure you'll see yeah. lots of families there. We're excited. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education. And I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the Until next time, keep growing.